You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Children under five are often adorable, adventurous and unbelievably challenging. Once our babies start to walk and talk, you can see their personalities start to emerge. But with those personalities also come things like irrational tantrums and baffling stubbornness. So how do we parent our under fives in a compassionate way that still gives them the boundaries they need? Psychologist Dr. Vanessa Lapont and educator Maggie Dent are the parenting dream team. (laughs) (laughs) They often team up when Vanessa is in town from Canada to help parents expand their understanding of their small children. Vanessa, Maggie, welcome. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) Vanessa, what is happening developmentally for our children when they're under five? When our littles are under five, there's a couple of key things that are are, uh, being laid down neurologically that allow us to make sense of what's going on for them developmentally. And so our under five children are developing most prominently their emotional brain, which is sort of the the inner core of the brain where all of the big feelings and all of the circuitry related to that are housed. And it's how we care give and caretake of our children that actually directs the brain as far as how it's going to wire up and eventually, not immediately, but many (laughs) years down the road... Allow for them to be able to manage their own big feelings without having so many um, meltdowns and tantrums. Um, they do need to experience the meltdowns and tantrums early on for that part of the brain to grow. So that's one of the reasons that nature makes early childhood sometimes feel very chaotic and messy because it's out of the mess that true growth actually happens. And then the second thing that's going on is that the brain is ever so gradually moving towards a thickening process from the back of the brain to the front of the brain. Now, newsflash is that that thickening process takes roughly 25 to 30 years. (laughs) It's not a newsflash I wanted to hear. I mean, I haven't actually asked what the thickening means, but I'm guessing it's maturity. It's maturity, the capacity to manage big impulses, to be able to hang on to two feelings at one time, like I really want that toy and I don't want my brother to be sad when I knock him over and take it away from him. Those are two big (laughs) thoughts. And it's hard to hang on to those thoughts when you don't have a prefrontal uh, cortex that's fully developed. And so we just must let nature do its job and create the conditions around our children that prime that to unfold beautifully. Okay, so Maggie, this uh, description of what's happening in the brain is, is very clearly showing why our children have lots of seemingly irrational tantrums. But how can we teach our children to self-regulate during that time? Well, they're too young to do that. So let's move on from that. So So what we really need to do is have this realistic expectation that because that prefrontal is so underdeveloped, the capacity to pause themselves in the midst of something to make another choice that is less explosive or less destructive in the heat of the moment is just not there. So Essentially, our job as grown-ups is to be able to create an environment where they're able to have these moments of incredible frustration and to know that we are big enough to hold a safe space for them to go through that to come out the other side. So it's, you know, it's a, it, and it is really like, I remember um, how many times a day 
was that happening in my house when I had a three and a half and a two and when a one and a half year old. My goodness, it just went from one to the other to the other. If I had known what Vanessa just explained, I would have eaten a lot less chocolate <laughs> and I would have spent a lot less time out in my calm chair in the garden because I kind of intuitively knew this was kind of what kids are doing in that window because they're unable to, like I said, have two thoughts um, at the same time. Um, fortunately, I wasn't a reactive parent because of my own primary experience. So I was able to kind of sit with that and just make sure they didn't really hurt each other. So I think it's when you get to understand that, our job is to hold a space that's safe enough for them to come back down from that and that hopefully then we can do what we call discipline. That's helping them to unplug what was it that piled up on them that meant that went into that place and that it is going to gradually get easier and better. So let's uh, imagine that people have this understanding in the back of their minds but we are all human, and often when a child's having a tantrum or if multiple children are tantruming at the mm-hmm. one time, parents can get really angry. They can lose their shiz. Um, how can we find, Vanessa, how can we find a way back to connection with our children after we've really lost it, after mm-hmm. we've got angry, after we've yelled, everyone's feeling terrible? How can we reconnect after that time? Right. And so the most important thing that I can say to you as a parent is welcome to the club. <laughs> we all do that. And sometimes people you're think... you lousy. Right. Yeah. They think, oh, well, you're Dr. Vanessa LaPointe. Mm. It would never, ever happen that way at your house. Well, come again. <laughs> it's not all sunshine and roses. Sometimes it's really messy and very challenging. And the thing is that we are all humans, which means we all have a right to our feelings and our emotions. And every now and then, life is going to overtake and we are going to sort of um, have a big expression perhaps, of emotion that we wished we could have contained a little bit in front of our children. And so what I'll say to you is this, rather than going to your children begging for forgiveness, because your children really don't want to have to be counted upon to take care of you in that moment. And when you ask them for forgiveness, you're actually asking them to take care of your feeling around all of that. Go to your children and uh, admit what it is that's happened. So they know that you know that this went down and then follow that up with uh, an expression of um, atonement of sorts. And so you may say something like, oh, I had so many yelly shouts just there. And that's not the way that I want to do this. I don't love that I had my yelly shouts all over you. And so I want for you to know that that's done. The yelly shouts are finished. And I love you. And there's nothing ever, ever that will change that, even in a moment when my yelly shouts escape me, that there's nothing ever that will change the love that I have for you. And I've got this. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's a nice way. It's interesting you say not to apologize. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I say sorry. No, no, I don't think that's going to be terribly destructive. But when you actually yep. kind of make it as though they owe you something to bring it back into a place, that's a little bit different. I, I've been able to say, hey, sorry, so I've just lost that. Yeah. That's not the growing up I want to be around my house. So I'm, yeah, I've, I've used words that I'm really not proud of right now because I want to model to them that us growing ups do that. Mm-hmm. And then I can basically go, so let's, um, are we good? Yep. I love you. I love you. Yeah. I got you back. How about we have Milo? Oh, yeah. yeah, I like a step hurt. into reconciliation. I had boys, so food was always Yeah, and I think I might be getting some Milo. <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's the key I took out of that. All that wisdom, I'm buying Milo. Right. It's a good thing to have, honey, yes. isn't it? Oh, it's on the side. Seriously. 
Um, so Maggie, how can we help our kids then become resilient, even while we're trying to be there for their meltdowns? You know, they're, we're, we're being told a lot, let your children fail. Yeah. Mm. Let your children experience hard emotions. Um, how how do we help them bounce back in that situation? So in the context of what we're saying, what we want you to do is not rescue a child from feeling those angry big moments, is we need to let them know that that is exactly what is valid and acceptable and okay. What is not acceptable is what I do with that big ugly feeling later. And then, I, you know, the, the biggest one I find in terms of building resilience in children is when we don't let them experience disappointment and, 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 and like, fail. Because life is just full of it. Seriously, it doesn't matter how grown you are, um, up you are, that if you've not had the opportunities to experience the emotional buoyancy required to recover from being beaten fair and square, even though some siblings cheat, um, <laughs> then you are still not going to be able to know how to do that as you progress through primary school mm-hmm. and high school. And I think that's one of our, our kind of little modern mistakes is that we, we definitely want to be able to protect them from everything that's uncomfortable. And that's why I keep saying to parents, if you've got children who have got homework stuff going on in primary and you're really racing around to help them get it done and you're doing everything and everything, at the end of the day, I want you to stop that because the journey of homework is between the school and your child and let them deal with it and have one less big issue on your plate. Oh, I love hearing that. Seriously, because <laughs> that is part of what they're wired to do. So we need to look at, um, am I sometimes not saying no because I'm a bit worried of what's going to come? Yeah. <laughs> like really, you know, um, and am I succumbing to pester power, which can be ferocious especially from some of our children, because a part of me thinks, gosh, when I was a kid, I would have loved them to cave a bit more. Do you know what I mean? So I want them to know there are times you are not going to like us, whoever's co-parenting here. When we say, no, you're not having that. No, we're not doing that. And I'm the parent and I'm doing that for a very good reason. Yeah. But we, it is again, I'm not going to shout that at you. I might rub your back and say, hey, it's still no, darling. Mm. You know, the pester power up the lolly aisle. It's still no, doll. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know mm. you're frustrated. I know you want the lolly, but it's just not treat day. It's not happening. Done. And I think it's the tone that we can put under our firmness. You know, and I know Vanessa and I believe very much you can actually discipline with an open heart mm. um, and be equally firm. And then the other thing I want to throw in there is at different times, I would like you to start having conversations with your children about the power of fairness and kindness. Because it's not always in our gene pool, and particularly for roosters. But if they see us modelling fairness in our family and our relationships and kindness unexpectedly at times, they are modelling something big that needs to go into their deep in their psyche, I believe, to be the person we want them to be one day. So that if a child has fallen over and hasn't won, our child's the child who goes over and helps them up and says, come on, let's finish together. Oh, I love that. So with that uh, very tricky word, discipline, mm-hmm. Vanessa, you, of course, have written a book about um, discipline without damage. Once um, a child has had a big feeling like a meltdown or a tantrum, but there's still something you need to teach them, is that the moment to teach them once they've calmed down? How long can you wait? Should you wait at all? Right. And so we often get concerned that if they don't learn the lesson right away, 
that they're not going to be able to pair the lesson with the circumstance or the situation, and then we've lost the teachable moment. But the truth is, when your child's in the middle of a meltdown or a tantrum, there's a lot of really important things happening neurologically and chemically in their body that make it impossible for them to be open to teaching, to even hear and be able to process language in that moment. And so we really do need to make sure a couple of things have occurred. And the first thing is that the body has completely calmed so the mind can completely calm, that all of the cortisol or stress hormone has had an opportunity to move through. And that may take, if it was just a little uh, kind of bump in the road, five seconds, it might take five minutes, it might take five hours, or in the case of your husband's, it may take five days. <laughs> but the key is that you wait to see that it's fully calmed, that the child has gone from mad to sad to calm. And then when the calmness happens, that you approach it from a perspective of understanding that we as humans are meant to take the uh, guidance or leadership or instruction from people to whom we feel safely connected. And so rather than barging into your child's room and saying, we must talk about what happened at the store this afternoon, or we must talk about what happened with brother earlier today, you first go in and you kind of join in with them. And you say, oh, love, what have you got going on here? Look at, oh my gosh, this Lego castle is spectacular. <laughs> I love it. You are so brilliant. These colors and the shape and all of it is working so beautifully. And we need to talk about what happened earlier this afternoon. And then you just jump in. There's never ever a time for a lecture. We never go in and just stay in there and lecture. We say, we have to talk about what's happened earlier this afternoon. It's only going to take a minute. And here we go. So I need for you to know that this is not how we do things in our home, darling. We never, ever solve our problem with our hidden hands. If you have a, a tricky go with brother again, your job is to come and find me and I'm going to help you sort that out. Or your job is to ABCXYZ. And then you plant the seed of ability. Can I count on you? And that's it. And don't fool yourselves into thinking that that then means they're never going to do that yeah, thing again. Yeah. <laughs> because the road to hell for our children is not paved with good intentions. <laughs> In fact, their good intentions are golden. We honor the good intention and recognize that the brain just isn't going to be able to hang on to it. And as we sort of champion them along, eventually, over the coming months and years, that will settle in. 26 years. Yeah, yeah. Say, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, keep exactly. the faith, my friends. <laughs> and I also love the fact that there will be somewhere out there now a picture book that's written exactly about how do I increase kindness or fairness or understanding or embracing diversity. We have got the most amazing, mm. wonderful books that support parents and educators being able to use story form because yes. that's what we used to do. We used to listen to stories of how people may have had an experience that was bad, what came out the other side. And it wasn't you or you, it was out there. And a story has actually got a great transformative power. So trust me, there's some fabulous ones. And don't forget your local library. You don't have to buy them all. Yeah, they're Beautiful. great libraries. Um, before I let you go, Maggie, it's a, it's a term that we hear a lot in the parenting world, like calm in the chaos. I'm not sure I believe it's actually possible. But if anyone could teach it, it would be you. <laughs> what, do you have any tips 
yeah, on definitely, how... Yeah, definitely. So the very first thing is that um, when we are triggered by our children, we then experience the same cortisol flood. However, we do have a prefrontal lobe. And my first tip is always know you have a prefrontal lobe <laughs> that your children do not have. And can you please start using it? So to help that really kick in, you need more oxygen. There's no question. Um, and that's a whole process. If you start taking the closing your eyes for a moment and breathing some breathing, you're actually going to start lowering the level of it. Um, and I, if you can bend your knees a little, there's, there's a really powerful thing that sort of we know from, you know, traditional sort of type chi and yoga and all those things, bent knees allows us to really hold our presence and ground ourselves into the earth, which brings us into a more powerful state of being able to respond to our children rather than react. <laughs> yeah. And now, and I know there's some out there going, oh my God, yeah, I, I can do breathing because I don't have a lot more time to do much else. But what we will tell you is that you're a parent who've got children who are not sleeping enough. It is always harder. So these things need to be automatic things we start doing to ourselves. Really automatic breathing and pausing. I'm a huge fan of tapping. If no one knows about it, it's online. The moment you'll find out about it. And tapping on the side of the fingernail in your middle finger will ease it because that's actually the frustration angry point, which is why people flip birds. Huh. I know. We're so all doing rub it. it. In studio You're just biologically tapping. wired. You are psychologically <laughs> wired to understand that. And put your hands up in the air while you're doing that because your children go, no, she's tapping. She's tapping on the angry finger. Don't ask for ice cream. <laughs> and also, what then happens, the other way to bring ourselves down is we need to choose to be the ridiculous, fun person all of a sudden. Yeah, of course we can go on the journey of why this is all wrong or we could just turn into a ferocious dinosaur or do, you know, bear chases around the house. So you could rock into some ABBA. And what you do is you trigger the brain to come from that awful state up into novelty and laughter and we need to lighten up some more because the world is more stressful. Our parents are dealing with more stress than ever before and we need to have more fun with our kids. So seriously, yeah, put a tent up, just get in there, yeah. <laughs> And if you ever need any hints on how to become a little bit ridiculous, yeah. I'm sure Maggie can yeah, help with that as well. Yeah, pretty sure I've done it. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us. Thank you. Thank you. That was psychologist Dr. Vanessa LaPont and parenting educator Maggie Dent. Both women have their own websites with a stack of information on them, so we'll put links to them in the notes to this episode. How do you choose what's healthy enough for your kids to eat? Take the breakfast cereal aisle, for example. You might look at two products and they both have the same health star rating, but one of them has added sugars in it. The other one, the sugars are just coming from um, sultanas. And by... Um, penalising added sugars in, in a strengthened algorithm, those health star ratings will move further apart. That's Choice Senior Journalist Rachel Clemens. She explains how the current health star rating works and why it needs to change. That's on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love. This podcast is produced by Debbie Ning. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.